at the beginning of this year, um, I really felt like we as a church should really try to go through the whole Bible and really get a good general idea of what the whole Bible teaches. And um, I felt so committed to that, and I, and I think it's so good because then it makes you preach on things that are tough to preach on, which is what today will be. Um, we have been going through the story of the Bible, which is, these, that's what these symbols are, kind of show what the whole story of the whole Bible is. And we left out wisdom literature of the Bible in the Old Testament. We went back, and so we've talked about Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, and so kind of quick summary. Um, Psalms, it's really designed to help give you wisdom on your knees, like how do you communicate with God? It's really what Psalms is all about. Proverbs gives you wisdom on how do you walk through this life. How do you stand, you know? And then Job kind of gives you wisdom through suffering. And then Ecclesiastes kind of life is meaningless if it's not lived under the wise one, Jesus. And today we're going to be talking about Song of Solomon. Um, parents, if your kids are in here with you, um, we're talking about Song of Solomon. It, it, there are moments where this gets a little, um, little dicey. Yeah. Um, so... So in any case, but we're, we're talking about Ecclesiastes and kind of what wisdom do we get from this book? If this is in the wisdom literature section of the Bible, what wisdom do we get from this book? So real quick about this book, we're gonna, there's going to be three main characters. There's going to be a guy, there's going to be a girl, and there's going to be others. There's some other minor characters. We've got three main characters, guy, girl, others. So in this, um, it's basically love poem, okay? It's guy... Um, wants to be with the woman, woman wants to be with the man. Um, they, they, it kind of progresses in a journey of their relationship. And so uh, it, it's a, it, it gets kind of, gets kind of a little bit, uh, you'll see. So um, it starts off, so Solomon, what do we know about Solomon? And, and the background of what we know about Solomon, we talked a little bit about this in, um, when we talked about Ecclesiastes, we talked a little bit about this when we talked through Proverbs. Solomon is supposed to be one of the wisest guys that has ever lived. Super, super wise guy. And he um, lives out this wisdom, but then he, what it says in the text is that he began to love foreign women. And so Solomon ends up um, having tons of wives and tons of concubines. And so it's because of this book that's really dealing with one man and one woman and the love that they have for each other, just the two of them, it's kind of like, could Solomon really have written this book? And so that first line of this, of this book, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, that could be um, translated multiple ways. It could have been written by Solomon. It could have been written to him. It could have been written for him, or it could have been written about him. So it's because of that scholars really think that this is kind of like, a, we, we, it's anonymous. We don't really know who wrote this. So we don't really 100% know who wrote this, and it seems to be about a guy and a girl and other people watching the, their relationship unfold. There are two kind of schools of thought as to what, how you uh, interpret this book. One is it's truly at face value. It's a man and a woman that are in love, that want to be with each other in every way. And there's another way that people look at this and say, no, the guy is actually Jesus. And the girl is actually the church. And this book is not about a man and a woman falling in love with each other. It's actually about Jesus and his love that he has for his people. So I think it's both, to be honest with you. But so what can we gain in wisdom from this book? I think today the wisdom that we will get from this book is the wisdom in men and, men and women relationships. 
It'll be wisdom in, um, in, in sex, in sexuality. So that's what we're talking about today, which is why it gets a little bit crazy. So this, this book, I think if you look at it at face value, you can almost see this progression. It seems like that it goes from them dating to them getting married to their honeymoon. That's next week. You won't want to miss that. And then the, then the next week, we're actually going to have our parking lot party. If you've been with us for a while, we periodically, we just don't have service like this. And we just go outside and we have a big party in the parking lot. We have hot dogs and hamburgers and, and we'll do that in two weeks. And then the following week, the book kind of like they're from their honeymoon on. So that's what we're going to do for the next couple weeks is today, dating into marriage or dating into, uh, into um, wedding, excuse me. And then the next week, Wedding into honeymoon, and then parking lot party, and then the following week, it'll be um, from them being married on, okay? Now, before we get too far into this, this is not an easy topic to preach on. Anybody want to switch places? Uh, I was hoping somebody would, but this is a hard topic to talk about. It's hard, even if your mom and dad aren't sitting in the back of the room. It's hard even if your mother and father-in-law aren't sitting in the back of the room. <laughs> but I think it's hard for a couple of other reasons. Number one, I think the, reason, the, the, the talking about sex and sexuality is hard in any type of group. Um, and it's hard for me in this situation because I don't feel like I'm an expert on the subject. Um, I don't feel like my life has always shown me being wise in this area. And... This book is a very, very hard book to understand what it is saying. Has anybody, how many people in here have read the book of the Song of Solomon? Good, good, good. Um, it is hard to understand what is being talked about, what, it, what do they mean when they say this, and it, it's, it's difficult. And um, I would, it, it, to be honest, this has been by far the hardest sermon I've had to prep for. Um, I, I don't know how much time I normally spend preparing for a sermon, but in the past two weeks, it has probably been at least 30 hours of me sitting and trying to say, what in the world is this and how do I get it out? Um, if you want to take this subject deeper, um, Tommy Nelson is a pastor and he preached a whole series on the book of Solomon that could be a good resource. If you went into Google said, uh, Tommy Nelson's Song of Solomon, you can find eight sermons at least that he's done. There's a book that a guy by the name of Matt Chandler wrote called Mingling of Souls that kind of tries to go through it. And so by no, by no means am I a professional and an expert in, in this book, let alone in the subject, um, but uh, that's one reason why it's really hard. The second reason why it's hard to preach on this is because the area of sex and sexuality, many people feel guilt and shame in that area of their lives. It is an area of people's lives that oftentimes is hidden. And um, it makes it hard. And so if you find yourself now or throughout the course of this sermon that you're feeling a little bit and you're kind of feeling like you just need to look down, you're feeling shame or, or, or guilt, I want you to hang in there all the way till the end um, because I think that there's some really good things that we can hear. Now, third reason why this is so hard. The culture that is, is in this book versus now is profoundly different. This guy tells this woman, you look like a horse, and it's a good thing. 
it, it didn't translate. I told Sarah that the other day, and I just, I got slapped. I just, <laughs> but it doesn't really, tra- like, it's hard, like, okay, she's a horse, that's, at another point, he says, your hair looks like a goat's hair. Like, again, that one did not translate. It didn't translate. But I think it's, it's such a different culture in, a, in another huge way. I think when we look at sex and sexuality, we are in this culture that we live in right now. We cannot escape where we live, how we live, what goes on around us. You cannot escape from turn the TV on and it's about sex. You can't escape that. And so the culture that we live in and the culture of this relationship are so profoundly different, it's hard to even grasp. Um, This man and this woman are not going to have sex until they're married. And that is profoundly different than our culture. I was looking up, trying to think through, how can I really talk through that? And I found this article on the National Center of Biotechnology Information website. I don't even know what that means. But this article was about how culture has changed and how there is now a sexual hookup culture. And in this, it talked about what is a hookup. A hookup, for older people who you've been out of the game long enough, you don't know these terms now. A hookup is considered any type of uncommitted sexual encounter. So guy and a girl, they get together to have some sort of sexual encounter, and they're not in a relationship with each other, okay? It could be as simple as kissing. It could be oral sex. It could be intercourse. It can be any of those things. So that's what a hookup is, okay? So in this, it says that hookups, it has become increasingly normative behavior. That you have terms that some of us older people may not know. Friends with benefits. What is a friend with benefits? You just, you're friends with this person and you guys get together to, to play around. But there's no real true relationship with each other. It's just about let's be friends, but let's get together and let's, let's kiss, let's maybe have sex, let's do it. And then we'll just go our own separate ways. Then there's this other uh, no-strings-attached relationships where, hey, we're going to kind of be like we're dating. We're going to do all the things like we're dating, but there's going to be no strings attached, and I'll go my way, you go your way. It's similar to the friends with benefits. And then you also have the one that I think more people hear the term of is the one-night stands. Well, this um, National Center of Biotechnology Information, this article, the people that are doing huge studies on sex and sexuality in our culture, they found that the average, or excuse me, that 60 to 80% of North American college students report that they have had at least one hookup experience. So we live in this culture where 60 to 80% of college students have had some type of sexual encounter with someone that they are not even dating. 60 to 80%. They took another study, 7th graders, ninth graders, and 11th graders. So they took a group of 7th, ninth, and 11th graders. So probably 13, 15, and 17-year-olds. Let's get a study of all these kids. Let's, get, let's ask them a bunch of questions. How many of you have had sex? 32% was what they came up with. 7th, ninth, or 11th graders. I think the reason why it is as low as it is because it included 7th graders. I bet you if it was ninth and 11th graders, it would be a lot higher. Then this one was even a little bit more um, 
crazy of a statistic. Of 7th and 9th and 11th graders that were asked, over 61% of them had admitted to having some sort of sexual encounter, even if it's just kissing, with someone that was not their boyfriend or girlfriend. So we live in this culture where sex and sexuality is just everywhere. Um, one of the last parts in this, they, they asked, the, what are the reasons for these hookups? 65% of women, when they didn't really know a guy well and they engaged in some sort of sexual behavior with them, 65% of the women did it because they hoped it would turn into a relationship. And it has become where sex is how you get to the relationship rather than the relationship happens and then down the road sex happens. 65% of the women interviewed said that they did it because they hoped it would lead to a committed relationship. Now, other reasons. What are other reasons why you, why you engaged in this behavior? 89% of the people, both men and women, that were asked, why did you engage in this? 89%, it was about their physical gratification. 54% of them said it was about emotional gratification. And the thing that's crazy about this is 54% of the people who are engaging in this behavior do it because they want emotion, emotional gratification, but you know what happens so often? I can't tell you how many times Sarah or I have talked with somebody that has done something stupid they didn't want to do, and they felt humiliated, they felt shame, and they felt guilt. And so what is happening in hopes to get emotional gratification from leads to this feeling of dark despair, of humility, of shame, of guilt. But that's the culture that we live in. In this book, the culture of their relationship is so profoundly different than that. And that's really what we're going to look at today. So the purpose of today, I think, is for us to see that this book, the Song of Solomon, wants to give us wisdom in sex and sexuality, wants to give us wisdom in male and female relationships. Um, I also think that... Um, the purpose or, or the process of what we're going to do today, if that makes sense, is we're going to look at how they dated and we're going to look at the, the beginning of their wedding. Before we do, let's pray. <sighs> Father God, I am. Um, I'm so thankful for your love. I'm so thankful for your grace. I'm so thankful for your word that you give us that gives us so much wisdom. God, I pray that um, you will help me to communicate what in the world this book has to say. I pray that you will connect it into our hearts and that you will help us to, uh, to learn what it is that you want us to learn. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's easy to be like, sweet, we're talking about dating. Well, I'm already married, so I'm off the hook. No, you're not. When you are married, you should still be dating. The things that we're going to learn about this applies just as much to marital relationships as it does to just dating. And so don't feel like you're getting off the hook. And uh, I will probably at different points deal a little bit more even with married people than single people. So... This, the, the culture of their relationship, the culture we're in, is so profoundly different. If you look into our culture, the one, the, what is the first thing? How does a relationship start? It's looks. It's almost always looks. Or status. Have you ever seen a really old kind of 
creepy looking guy with a really young, attractive girl, what's the first thing you think? Gold digger, yeah. He's got money, right? No way he got that girl without money. No way. Yeah, it's Mike, yep. <laughs> He's must got big, thick pockets, right? <laughs> but it's about looks, it's about status. There are, there are people who I think they date someone specifically because they're popular. Because they're on the football team, because they're this, that, the other thing. But, but relationships almost always start, or in our culture, based on looks or status. Where in this, what is so crazy, it's so beautiful and so cool, it starts off like this. She's speaking in verse 2. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your mouth is better than, or excuse me, your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. What in the world does she mean? I think what she's saying is when she says your name is oil poured out, I think what she's saying is you have a really good name. You have a good reputation. You are a man of character. And so what we see in our culture, what typically attracts people is just looks. It's solely based on looks. And I can tell you before Sarah and I's relationship, and I'm going to talk more a little bit about that in a little bit, but before Sarah and I's relationship, the only thing I looked at was looks. That was it. If she wasn't good looking, no time of the day. I don't know how she would have, I would have expected it to go anywhere, but... But here, she's looking, he's, she's looking at his character. She's saying, this guy's a guy of character. She also then, in, in, in chapter 1, verse 7, she says, where are you, pasture um, your flock? And so what I think she's implying is he's a shepherd, okay? And with being a shepherd, there's a specific things that would, that would make you um, have as characteristics. You're going to be gentle. You're going to be protective, you're going to be loving. You're going to be caring. And so I think what she's attracted to in this guy is not necessarily his looks. Later on, we'll talk about it. But she says, you look like an apple tree compared to all other trees. Okay, apple trees are usually shorter and stockier than other trees. I don't know if she's implying that he's just this short, fat guy. But it gives some good news for some of us, you know. But... Um, I think what she's attracted to in this guy is that he ha has a good name, he's a man of character, and that he's a shepherd, he's gentle, he's caring, he's a loving guy. Well, what about her? She, at one point in chapter uh, 1, verse 7, she says, um, excuse me, that's not the right one. Yeah. Tell me who my soul loves. Where do you pasture your flock? Where do you lie down? Why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? What I think that she's saying is this. I could strip down, show off a little bit of this, show off a little bit of this, and I could get some guys. That's not the way I'm going to do it. I think what she's trying to do is to attract guys not based on her cup size, but on her brain size. So... The other thing that you see in, in, in the first part of chapter 1, she's speaking and starting in verse 5, and she says, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtain of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. 
I think what she's saying is this. I think what she's saying is, look, I've been outside a lot and I've gotten tan. Which for us, we're like, oh, that sounds pretty good. Tan, girl? Well, in this day and age, you did not want to be tan. That was considered super unattractive. Because that meant that you were out working in the fields. You don't want a girl who's out working in the fields. But what he sees in this is that she is a hardworking girl. She works hard. What about, it also talks about her family. My brothers have made me. She's willing to, have, to come under authority. And what he sees in this woman is not, oh, she's beautiful and she's got a nice body and this and that. What he sees is this is a hardworking girl who wants to attract people not just based on her body. And I think that he's like, I like that. So relationships for us so oftentimes start because of exterior looks where in this, their relationship seems to start because of inner beauty. Inner beauty you cannot find out quickly. I have a friend um, that um, he actually, he, um, he ended up killing himself. But I have a friend, his name is Todd. And Todd um, was one of those guys that said what he thought, even if he shouldn't say it out loud. But one of the times what Todd said was, and this is going to be a little bit um, blunt because that's how Todd spoke, but I'm not going to PG it. He said, I, I told my niece to be very careful of who she dates because even I can be a perfect gentleman for a month if I can get in her panties. You cannot find out about inner beauty quickly. Most relationships that I think we see are founded on lust. They look good. I want to be with them. Let's do it now. It's impatient. It's, it's, it's moving quickly. It's, it's about focusing on themselves. It's about that self-gratification. Remember how much percentage of guys or of people interviewed, 98% of them were, were doing this type of activity, having a, a hookup because they wanted personal gratification. Most relationships, I think, are started because of lust, whereas in this, their relationship gets started because of love. It's patient. It's slow. Um, multiple times throughout this book, and two times just in chapter 1 and 2, it says this, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This couple has committed to not have sex before they were married. That is so foreign to us. I've heard people say, well, how will I know if, if they're any good if we don't try it before, you know, it's like I want to try out the bed before I sleep on it. But their relationship is not founded on lust, it's founded on love. Their relationship is about building one another up. It's not about personal gratification, but it's about building one another up. And so you can see in, um, in verse 1-6, remember she says, my vineyard I have not kept. She said, I've been out working in the fields, and because I've been out working in the fields, I have not been able to take care of myself. Maybe I didn't shave my legs. Maybe I didn't shave my armpits. I don't know if they had big old hairy armpits back in this, but I'm guessing they did. Um, she hasn't gobbed on all the makeup. She hasn't put her Spanx on or push-up bra on. She's, she's, just, she's just her, okay? She's just her. And she says, Look, I have not been able to take care of all this. And what does he say to her? I lost my place. Got too excited there. He says to her in verse 1, chapter 8, I told you this was going to be awkward. I told, 
Now anybody want to trade places? He says to her, oh, most beautiful among women. He's about building her up. In, in, in chapter 2, she says, um, in verse 1, she says, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Well, what in the world does that mean? That area just had roses. And so what she's saying is, look, I'm just a common girl. Yeah, I'm a girl, I'm a rose, but there's just lots of roses around here. And he says to her, he says, um, you are like a lily among the brambles. What he's saying is, if every other woman was a thorn, you are the rose. He's building her up. He's building her up. It's about love. It's not about lust. He's, he's, he's building her up. And then what she's building her up, which Sarah says this to me all the time, that, Brian, you're like leaping over the mountains. You're a, like a gazelle or a young stag. And that's what she says to him. In chapter 2, verse 9, she's never said that to me. <laughs> Nothing even close. I kind of would like that. You could leap over mountains, you know. Like a young gazelle, or like a gazelle, a young stag. So they're, but they're building each other up. Their relationship is based on love. It's not based on lust. I think that you can see um, this in such a really cool um, thought. Sarah and I um, like to have bonfires, okay? Sarah is really good at building a bonfire because what she does is she gets the paper and she gets like the kindling and the little sticks and she does all her little magic. I think it's magic because I don't do it this way. So she sits in there and, she, and then she's like, like blowing on it so that you can get the, the coals going, right? And then what happens? It takes a while, but then you have this roaring, beautiful fire. Here's what I do. Kids, do not try this at home, okay? Here's what I do. I, I light like a piece of paper on fire around a bunch of other like things, and then I take a cup, just one cup of gasoline, and just do that real quick. You know what I have found? The fire doesn't stick around. Yeah, just, and then it goes down. It doesn't work. But that's what, in our culture, we, we, it's a, the relationship is about lust. And what that is, you're just dumping gasoline. Listen, if you and another guy don't know each other and you're engaging in, in, in a physical activity of sex together, you're just dumping gasoline on, your, on it. The relationship probably has no track to go anywhere, and you're pouring gasoline on it. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like, like when, you, when you go to um, Saki, anybody been to Saki, and they, they do the thing where the fire goes up real quick and real big. It's really cool looking, but it doesn't last. And I think that in our culture, these relationships are founded on lust, and guess what happens? They get in divorce. Because... There's two different ways to build a fire, one with gasoline and one with it slow. And I think the same thing is with the relationship. If it is founded on lust, it's going to be quick, and it would be like a huge, might look cool for a little bit. But the real way to do it is to have this fire that you take plenty of time, you take care of it, and you, you nurture it. I think in our culture, we see um, dating relationships as casual. You're, just, you're kind of dating them, but you're kind of also going out with all these people and doing that. And, you know, well, that person I'll kiss sometimes, but we're not really together. We're just kind of friends. And, well, I can tell you this I don't go up and French kiss any of you girls in here, like, except for that one. (laughs) 
But the thing about this is, the, and for us, most of the relationships are casual. And even if they're not casual in, in, in appearances, have you ever been sitting with somebody, let's say another guy, I'll talk to the guys for a minute. Have you ever been talking to another guy and you see an attractive girl walk by and you just kind of notice it, but the guy you're talking with does one of these? Just snapshots. Let me remember her later. Even when relationships don't appear to be casual, they so often are casual. How many times are there people who, and and I can be guilty of this, you, you watch things on TV that really there's no business you watching them. I mean, I think it can progress so quickly to let's look at girls in their bathing suits. Let's look at stuff on the Internet. Let's, let's get some videos. Let's do, and and you're, even though you, you say that you are committed to this person, your relationship is really truly very casual because she's just one of many. She's the one you can touch with your hands, but the other ones you can imagine touching with your hands. Relationships, I think, in our culture are so casual. I can tell you there are so many husband and wife relationships that I believe one of them really wants to have a good marriage and one of them is just hanging out, just casual. I just want to come home. I just don't want to hear any yapping. I just want to come home and sit here and watch TV. And it's, it really, it's just a casual relationship. You're just playing house. One of the sermons I listened to, I heard the guy, he said, um, there are so many people that you share a bed and a mailbox and that's it. Husbands and wives, do you just share a bed and a mailbox? Is it casual? But in this, their relationship is exclusive. She is the one. She's the one. He says to her, oh, most beautiful among women. He says to her that she's like a lily among the brambles. Many times, my beautiful one, my beloved. And then, like I said, she says to him, you are like an apple tree among all the other trees of the forest. He says, my beloved is mine. Or she says, excuse me, my beloved is mine and I am his. This relationship is so exclusive. Now, I'm not saying for people who are single that you just all of a sudden just start going steady with some guy. You don't know what that means. That's what old people used to say when they would be dating exclusive. Not dating anybody else. But, but I think um, that it, it takes time. Like, in every relationship prior to Sarah, it was, she looks good, I want to date her. She seems like she'll, she's okay with it, so she's, let's go for it. It was really not any time of, let's get to know each other. Let's figure things out. It was, it was all based on lust rather than love. It was all about looks, and, and, and really, it was pretty casual because I probably would have stuck around unless a better option came around. And I think so many people even, that's how they, how they live through their marriages, but their relationship is exclusive. The other thing I think that we see in our culture is so many times dating is fake. It's hiding. So let's, let, me, let me put on cologne, cover up how bad I actually stink. Let me get my little, my mints out, pop a mint before I kiss you so you don't realize how horrible my breath is. When you marry, it's not like that. You wake up and hair's all messed up. Mine's not. Ron's beards everywhere, right, Ron? <laughs> it's not like that. But, but, but dating becomes this fake thing, like, let me take you to the nice restaurant. Guess what? When you get married, he's not going to take you to a nice restaurant because you won't have any money. 
got to pay for a house and a car and gas. And like, there's all this insurance. Like, I remember the first time I got an insurance, but I was like, you have to pay for this? Are you kidding me? But dating so often, it's fake. Let's go to this nice restaurant. Let me get all dressed up. Again, push-up bra, the Spanx, and all this different stuff. And you, you, you paint yourself up. And then the first time he sees you without makeup, he's like, whoa! You know? <laughs> but, but dating relationships can be so fake. They can also just be unclear intentions. Like, they can be fake and kind of hiding because the guy isn't telling you that the only reason he's around is because of the sex. It's hiding and it's fake because really he's not letting you know does he really want to be with you. You know, that's the thing. Um, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I'm going to. So in my job, I was working with two clients. Clients were unmarried, but they were, they were dating. They were going to buy a house together. And so I obviously, um, you know, talk with them and help them in any way that I can and kind of point them a direction. But at the same time, they haven't hired me to be their pastor. They've hired me to be their realtor. So I'm helping them with stuff. And they're supposed to close this past week. On Tuesday, they were going to close. It was a very, very, very expensive house, which means big, big check for me. Um, so Tuesday at 4 o'clock, we're supposed to close. I get a phone call at 1 o'clock from her. I don't think we can buy this house. I'm like, why? What's going on? She's like, ah, I don't. I, I just got some cold feet. And I'm like, cold feet? Come on. <laughs> I'll buy a heater. Let's close, you know. <laughs> we start talking longer and longer, and she says, Brian, I don't know if I want to be with him. Why should I buy over a $300,000 house with him if I don't even know if I want to be with him? It was fake. It was exciting. He's going to help me buy a house. We're going to buy a house together, and we're going to have a dog, and we're going to, we're going to do, like, they're, they're playing house. It's just this fake thing. But neither one of them are com communicating with each other that the fact that their relationship has fallen apart. They don't even know if they like each other. When I'm asking them, what are you, what are you looking for in a house? Well, we want it to be three bedrooms. I'm like, okay, just the two of you. What do you need three bedrooms for? Well, I have my games that I play, and she has her games that she plays. They're like gamers. And so we want to have, I want to have like our bedroom where we sleep, but then I want a bedroom where I can have like my office set up where I can sit and play all my games. And she wanted the same. And so like the relationship was just, it was fake. It was hiding. Where in this, their relationship is not fake. It's not hiding. It's communicating and it's real. It's like a real deep relationship where they share their thoughts. And in um, chapter one, verse four, she's speaking and she says, draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. And as I read and studied, it really, what, what is believed is meant by this is he has let me know who he really is. He has showed me his things he's excited about, his things he's nervous about. He's let me know the areas about himself that he's self-conscious about. They have this deep, real relationship where they communicate. Then also in chapter 2, verse 15, this sounds weird, um, but they say, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. What they really think is meant by this is they're saying spring, like when you're in love, it feels like spring all day. And you just have this spring going around. But in the spring, foxes will come and they'll try to take all the, the plantings, right? And so what they're saying is, we're dating, we're really exclusive, it feels like spring, this is love, this is going well, but guess what? Things are going to come up that are going to probably make us fight. 
Things are going to come up that are going to cause problems in our relationship. And so they're kind of committing to each other. Let's stop the foxes from stealing this. They're communicating. They're real. Like she's able to say, you know what? When you said that, that really hurt me. He's able to say, well, when you said this, that really hurt me. They're able to, to really communicate and, and accept it and understand it. And they're, in, the, in the process of that, they're getting the foxes out of there. Relationships are hard, very hard. And they're committing for this relationship to be communicating and real. It's not shallow. It is deep. What I think in our culture so often we see relationships that are founded on the physical, they're founded on lust, and the relationship is so surface. Have you ever been out to dinner and you see an older couple, they're sitting across from each other, and you're like, I don't think they have said one word to each other. Now, maybe it's because they spend all day together and they've had like six hours of conversation before now, but oftentimes I think they just don't have anything to say to each other. Now, the, the, the thing is, you really don't see that very often because most of us don't go out to dinner at like four. But if you do, or if you have a really late lunch, you'll get to see that, that thing of this old couple not communicating. But I think oftentimes in, in our culture, we see relation, relationships are so surface level. Really, it's primarily about physical. Um, I, I've heard it said, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld that said that... Um, I forget how he said it, but once you've had sex in a relationship, it's like breaking up is like trying to knock over a pop machine. You can't do it in one try. But I really think that so often, if you see a college, college or high school group of people and guy and girl start dating, once they have had sex, it is so hard for them in that relationship, even if they know this is a horrible relationship for us to be in. You can't get out of it because it's, it's shallow, but it's something that you want so bad. Where in this, their relationship is deep. It's not just about a physical, it's emotional, it is spiritual, it's life-giving. They feel supported by each other. Remember when she said at the very beginning, I'm out in the sun, the sun's burning me, and, and I haven't t- taken care of my vineyards, I haven't painted myself up, push up, spank, I haven't done any of that stuff, right? Well, now, she says in chapter 2, verse 3, she says, um, as an apple tree among the apples of the forest, so as my beloved among the young men, with great delight I sat in his shadow. What she's saying is like the sun feels like it's just burning me. But I think she's going deeper than that. Like this world is hard. Like my back hurts and I'm working hard and it's all this. But, but now when I'm in his presence, I'm like sitting in his shadow. When she is with this guy, she doesn't feel like he's after her just because of her body, but he wants to know her deeply. And she feels like she's just sitting in his shadow. When you have a spouse that you can have the worst day and you're ready to kill somebody and you come home and you can sit down and you can talk about it and you feel like that, that she or he is helping cast the shadow from all that crap and it's blocking all of that hard stuff, all that burning that feels and you're just able to just chill. It is so good. Their relationship is deep, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's physical. She says to him, his banner over me was love, or she says about him, his banner over me was love. She says, sustain me, refresh me. Their relationship is not this surface level physical relationship. This is a deep relationship that is an emotional and spiritual and physical relationship. Um, If you want to have the best sex of your life, it will not be just a physical act. It will be physical, spiritual, and emotional. 
And that is found in a loving, intimate marriage. They, to me, in our culture, it's so often about sex rather than intimacy. In our culture, I think so often it's about the wedding more so than the marriage. We have had friends that they have mourned that they are now married because the wedding's over. So excited for the wedding, but now the wedding's over. Well, bad news, good news. The good news is if you find yourself in a situation where you are more excited about the wedding than the marriage, good news is you probably get to plan another one. Bad news is this marriage probably will not be able to go the distance. You should be way more excited about the marriage than the wedding. And I know for a lot of women, like, you dream of this wedding day so much. Stop. It's a day. It's just a day. You can't even have pizza bagels. (laughs) Too long of a story. I wanted pizza bagels on the buffet, and I was not allowed. So, but not by not by my not by my wife, and not by my mother-in-law, by the the party planner lady at the place. So, in any case, <laughs> I didn't say much. I know, I know, I'm going long, but I didn't say much. But I said I want pizza bagels, and the lady looked at me. You're not having pizza bagels at your wedding. I was like, holy moly. Okay. Chapter 3, verse 6. So they're dating. They have this really deep relationship, right? And so now what happens is Solomon arrives at the wedding. So I'm really behind on time, and I have quite a bit more to go, and this is one that I'm going to camp out on. Um, But it's like he's in his chamber. So when Sarah and I got married, I was back in a little private room until it was time for me to come out to this. So same type of thing is happening in chapter 3, verse 6. And Solomon comes out, and it says that he's on this couch. It's a a leader or litter of Solomon, starting in verse 7. Around him were 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and experts in war, swords at their thigh, King Solomon himself in a carriage. And it goes on, this carriage has gold and silver. It's this awesome carriage. And so what we see is he's coming out to get ready to get married, and he's with him is like 60 men with swords. And so he's coming to stand here so that when his wife comes down, she can see, I have the ability to protect you, to love you, to care for you. I'm going to make you feel like royalty. Solomon is ready to get married, and he's ready to tell her, I'm going to give you protection. I'm going to treat you with royalty. He's there, gladness of heart. That's what dating should look like. Dating should look like that to get you to a point to where now you are ready to marry. And he is up there waiting for her to come down the aisle, ready to give protection, to love, to care. He has loved her so much that he is committed to keep his hands off until the time is right. Do not awaken love until it so pleases. Now, it is very easy, I think, to, to at this point, feel shame, guilt, regret, longing for future, discouragement. I'm like, well, it's too late. I think there's two ways to interpret this text. Remember, the first one is this is a guy and a girl. The second way, it's Jesus and the church. Another way that we can look at this text is there's this man of character. Remember we talked about how he was a guy of character. There's this man of character with a good name that is like oil poured forth. His name is Jesus. 
He's like this shepherd who loves, cares, wants to protect. We can see that it, this text is pointing to Jesus. And not only is it pointing to Jesus, but that this woman, it's actually us as followers of Christ. But here's the thing. This guy sees something attractive in this girl, but with Jesus, there's nothing attractive in us. The Bible teaches that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, he died for us. So in this text, we have a guy who's attracted to a girl, and she's got some good things. Jesus was attracted to us as his people when we had nothing good to offer. So then, his love is such tremendous action that he comes to this earth. Remember, this guy, he's back in his chamber, and he comes out of his chamber to be ready for his bride. Jesus left the comforts of heaven. He left his chambers of heaven to come to earth to live and to die so that we could have forgiveness of sin. So if any of us have that shame and that, 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 that regret in our lives because of the way that we've done things in the past, I think what we need to see here is that this guy is Jesus who's come to bring forgiveness. He died to make a way for us to be with him. Remember, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's why I think if we really understand Jesus' love for us, we can say his love is better than wine. Um, we talked about a couple weeks ago, Psalm 130, and, and in it talks about forgiveness. And so Jesus comes to bring forgiveness. No matter what you've done, no matter what I've done, he comes and he brings forgiveness. And this verse, Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. When we look at this text, we should see Jesus. Sarah and I, like I said, we did not do this relationship thing, this sex, sexuality thing right before each other before we met. But you know what happened? Each of us, we were able to sit in the shadow of Jesus. Like this woman sitting in the shadow, the sun is not scorching. Sarah and I were each able to sit in the shadow of Christ. Each of us were able to say that Jesus' banner over us was love. Each of us would have been able to say that Jesus sustained us, he refreshed us, and you know what that led to? Sarah and I did not do our relationship perfect, but that led to us being able to have a very awesome, pure relationship that was focused upon Jesus 98% of the time. The 2% was mostly me. So what we have is this guy, Jesus, coming out of his chambers, coming from heaven to earth for his bride, which is us. And here's the other thing I don't want us to miss. When, when he's coming out of the chambers, he's got 60 men with him, all with swords, right? Jesus not only comes to give forgiveness for this, the way that we have not done this, but he comes with protection to help us do it right. I can tell you that Sarah and I's relationship, there is no way we would have been able to make it the way that we were able to, apart from truly feeling like there was 60 men with swords surrounding us at times. When you are in a dating relationship that is progression toward marriage, you will want to be with each other. That's a good thing, but it's not easy. You gotta have 60 armed people around you, sometimes literally. So in this, um, the reason why I think this book um, is helpful for us because I think that we, we learn about sex and sexuality, but I also think it's because we can see that it is Jesus who makes all things new. 
Um, I believe that for all of us here today, Jesus wants to help us understand sexuality better, dating better, marriage better, our struggles better. And I think that what, what God wants to do in this is, is huge for us if we will let him. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says this, Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Jesus is the man in this story that comes to earth that he wants to cleanse us. If any of us are guilty of that, even if it's in our marriage or if it's in a dating relationship or if it's just the stuff that we're doing outside of that, he wants to cleanse us so that he can, can present us as clean back to himself. He wants to make all things new. With Jesus, there is forgiveness. There is a new path that he can take you on. And he has the power to get you there. In the area of dating, sex, and marriage, there is a way that he's designed it. And if you haven't done that, he can forgive you for that. And he can put you on a path where you can go on that. Last thing, chapter 3. She falls asleep, the beginning of chapter 3. She's asleep. That's what it means when it says, on my bed by night. So she's asleep, and, uh, and it says, I sought him whom my soul loves. So in her mind, she's trying to go after him. I sought him but found him not. And it goes on, and she says, I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him and found him not. And then she's asking people, have you seen him? I, I really think what's happening in this is, is this. She has fallen in love so much with this guy. She just wants to be with him. I really hope and pray that for us as a people that we fall in love with Jesus so much we just want to be with him. And we allow him to renew our minds, to transform us so that we can live as dating, as we don't have a boyfriend, girlfriend, or in a marriage the way that we should. Last thing, husbands, wives, those of you who are married, you must still date your spouse. Your relationship still has to be based on love, not lust. Your relationship still has to be based on inner beauty and not exterior beauty. I mean, you've gotten uglier, admit it, right? It has to be. It cannot be surface level. It needs to be deep. The way that that happens, though, is by us seeking out him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. I can truly say that there were moments in my life where I felt so deep in shame over this area of my life and that I thought I could never see it happen differently. And it was not me trying harder, working more. It was you and what you did in my heart, what you did in my life, and that you were like an armed guard protecting me. God, I pray that the area of sex and sexuality in this room, um, that you would teach us what that should look like and that you will protect us. You will help us. If, pray if there's anybody in this room that is in any type of relationship that is not pleasing to you. God, I pray that you will just give them the courage to obey you. In Jesus' name.
I can be loud enough. Okay, there we go. Um, just to encourage you guys that shortly before Brian and I met, um, I it was for the world to see that I had lived out this area of my life in a way that was not the way God created it. Because I had a child. Um, I had a child before my senior year in high school. I went to college with a child. And I remember the day I was sitting there. I was reading the word. Um, I was kind of off by myself. I had committed not to date. And I remember thinking, what man would want me? A woman, a lady, a young lady who chose to go my own way, who had even um, the consequence, but yes, now also the gift of a child out of wedlock, um, and that everyone could see that what guy would want me. And I remember I really felt like the Lord just speaking to me through his word, um, and it was a man who loves me, a man who loves me and knows grace and forgiveness through me, through God. This is God speaking to me. And it was um, through that and then through Brian really showing me a glimpse of God's love and grace that I was able to understand that in a whole new way. So I'm sure that there's people here um, that have a lot of guilt and shame, men and women alike. And I just want to remind you that through his grace and through his power that you can be made new and that you too can have a relationship. Um, first of all, that has to come through that awesome relationship with Christ. But it can look different here on this earth too between man and woman because of Christ and Christ alone and because of his power and his grace and love. I was wishing for a bit of further background on the cultural views, both of the working woman and of the one being prepared for the elite. You could look for the working woman in Ruth chapter 2 and the cultural elite in um, Esther chapter 2. It's also an interesting thing to look at, to look at the description of the ideal wife in Proverbs chapter 31. 